following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. All right, I'll just talk a little louder. Everybody doing good today? Good, good, good. Hey, you know, one thing I was thinking about, and it came up during worship earlier today, um, some of you guys were raised uh, by the grace of God in a house that already loved God and kind of steered you well from the youngest of ages. How many in the room were in that camp? How many never? And how many of you, uh, it was a long pursuit of pulling and pushing and pulling before you came? Okay, the beauty is that's all of us right here in this room. It's like some come to Jesus by inspiration, some come by desperation, some come because your parents were so loving and wise, they raised you in the ways of the Lord, which is absolutely amazing. That is our, um, our plan with our children. That is our, our aim with our children, is to raise them in God's way. Our oldest daughter's on a missions trip. Um, she's 16, first missions trip, you know, and I'm like, thank you, Jesus, that there, you know, there's a whole bunch of kids going to be going through discipleship training for five weeks and going to Mexico for a week and, and learning what God's kingdom is all about. And uh, I've been in the kingdom now for a number of years. Um, as a believer, that's when you be, step into the kingdom. And, I, and I've been learning some things about the kingdom. And uh, I'm not done learning about the kingdom. And I hope today we're going to learn some more things about the kingdom. Does anybody want to learn about the kingdom? This is what I've realized about the kingdom. You ever see these janitors that walk around with a really big keychain? Big, and and like, you have no idea what those keys are, but they somehow know what all those keys are, right? They can get through the whole compound. It's like they have the gates to the city. Big key ring, a lot of keys. The kingdom of God's the same way. There are certain keys to the kingdom, and when God shows you a key, you pick it up, and you put it on your key ring, and you got that one. You got that one. You don't have everything, but you got that one. And there's certain things about the kingdom you discover along the way, and I'm hoping today is one of them, because a passage comes up. And it is just such a powerful passage. Some people skip over it, but I think God's trying to say something to his church today based on what we're going to find in this passage. And it's based on being relentless. Everybody say relentless. Listen, God has been relentless for you. And if you don't know how relentless God has been for you, you might need to stop and think and pray about it. I look back at my life and I, I realize like a running back, anybody like football in the room? Okay, running backs, they run and they put their arm out. And they, they stiff-arm people so they can kind of keep going their own way. They, they find their own lane. They're looking for the end zone. They're going to do whatever they can in their mind to get there. And they, they push people out of the way. And I look back at my life, and I did that with God. Anybody else do that with God? Yeah, the running back move. Push out of the way. I'm doing my own thing. I'm doing my own thing. And you know what I noticed? God never went away. Did you notice that? When I pushed him away, he didn't go away. When I turned my back on him, he didn't turn his back on me. When I lived the wrong way, a life of sin, he still didn't run away from me. He still ran after me. Anybody have that story? You know why? Because God is so loving and he's so relentless. God never quit on me. He hasn't quit on you. He's not going to quit on you, but there's more levels to his kingdom that you need to know just how relentless he is for you and how you and I can respond with being relentless for him. Because that's what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, I want to ask you, if you, if, I don't know how you want to be remembered uh, in life. I know a couple of weeks ago, Joey talked about the dash. Any of you guys here for the dash? He did a big, long dash across the stage that all of us will have a monument to our lives one day. There will be a big monument to our lives. We're not going to go unnoticed. When we leave this planet, there will be some kind of monument. It's often in a, oftentimes in a cemetery, and it starts with our birth date and our expiration date. 
And it has a line in the middle. And that's the monument to your life and my life. This is what we leave behind that will outlast us. It'll stick around. And the main thing on there is not the birth date or the expiration date. The main thing is the, it's the dash. Because all we have is the dash. That's all we got. We only got the dash. We didn't, we didn't do the first date. We don't do the second date. It's the dash. But how do you want to be remembered? When people explain you or talk about you, uh, how you lived your life in response to God's love for you, how do you want people to speak of you? And I'm not talking about, um, you, you know, like gossip, things like that. I'm talking about how, when they look at your life, a reflection of how you lived as a believer, as a believer, as a Christ follower, um, how do you want people to, to speak of you? How would you describe your own walk with God? Um, and, and I'm not talking about how you follow Jesus. In, in other words, what are the steps? I'm talking about the, the passion in which you follow Jesus, the passion in which you respond to God. Um, and I'm talking about adverbs. Would, would people say that you follow God passively? Would people say that you follow God intentionally? Would people say that you're a Christ follower uh, intensely, uh, uh, considerably? Uh, think of all these words to describe. I, 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 I want to bring this up this morning because... How you follow matters monumentally. Monumentally. There are so many people in, the, in this world that would say, I believe in God, in my mind, the principle of God, even the principle of the Trinity and the God of the Bible. In general, in general, okay, I'm, I'm okay with that. But that's not what I'm talking about, and that's not what Jesus talks about. He talks about following, right? He talks about following. Follow me. Everybody he ran into, he said, follow me. And it doesn't mean you sell your business and all that other stuff. It means in your heart, you decide to turn and follow him. But how we follow matters monumentally. Because some people follow passively. Some people follow intentionally. And I just want to encourage you, how you follow matters so much. Today, we're going to be looking at a passage on the way this woman pursued Jesus. And this woman pursued Jesus relentlessly, relentlessly. And it's one of the most glaring passages, I think, in the New Testament of how relentless somebody was, even when things were not going their own way, even when they're getting a no for an answer. They're not quitting, they're passionate, they're relentless. And because, because she was relentless, it changed her entire future and the loved ones around her. And how many would love to see a a greater future for you and the loved ones around you? I'm going to challenge you this morning. I believe it's going to come from a relentless pursuit of God. A relentless pursuit in faith, not passive faith, a relentless pursuit in faith. A passionate, relentless, again, the how matters, how you follow matters, not passively, but relentlessly. Uh, Webster's describes uh, relentless this way when we talk about uh, relentless, not letting up no matter how severe or intense a situation is, to be insistent, unyielding, adamant, rigid, unbending, and inflexible. And I'll be honest with you, there are things in your life that you need to be reckless about. Uh, excuse me, you need to be relentless about, reckless too. God is reckless in his love for us and we could be reckless in our pursuit of him, right? We don't tiptoe our way. We could say, God, you're the way, the truth, and the life and I'm following you and I'm not letting anything get in my way. And if it is, I'm gonna knock it down. I'm gonna be reckless about my pursuit in you and I'm gonna be relentless. I'm not gonna quit or shrink back or pull over. I'm gonna keep, 
uh, running at you. There's a, a poem I learned, uh, it's a prayer actually. It was a pastor from Zimbabwe and he died you know, many years ago. He was martyred for his faith. But when I, when I read it, it stuck with me. I was new in the faith, but this prayer just hit me so hard. I'm like, that's like the coolest prayer I ever heard. So I, I, I took it out of this devotional. I ripped it out and I stuck it on my dashboard uh, on, my, on my truck at the time. And, and, and I try to memorize it. And as uh, time went on, it's, this really stuck with me. But, but he says this, uh, this young pastor martyred, he said, I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his. I have stepped over the line. I, I, I won't. Uh, my past is redeemed. My present makes sense. And my future is secure. And I am through and done now with low living, sight walking, smooth knees, colorless dreams, dwarf goals, and tamed visions. In Jesus' name, this guy was saying, nothing's getting in my way. He's the king. I am not. I'm following him. I'm going to be relentless because he was relentless for me. I'm going to be passionate because he was passionate for me. I'm going to be reckless because he was reckless knocking stuff out of my life to come to me. I'm going to respond in kind. And I say that because some, when you think of relentless, you think, well, that sounds like a bull in a china shop. And some of you are thinking that's not a good word. Relentless is, for some of you, you think it's a harsh word. You're going to see a relentless woman today. It changed her life. It changed the life of her family. And I believe it will do the same for you if you have a relentless faith in the Lord. So if you're here today and you think relentless, some people like, well, they're so relentless, almost in a bad connotation. I want to challenge you that if it has to do with your faith and your pursuit of God, relentless is wonderful. It's excellent and it's rewardable. And you're going to see that uh, in scripture. I also want to challenge you with this idea. If you want to turn to Matthew 15, we're going to be kicking into our passage this morning. Um, But I want to challenge you with this idea. The Bible lists all kinds of heroes of the faith. Hebrews 11, you can read it later, and you're going to list a whole bunch of heroes. It's like the Hall of Fame. It's like all the Grand Slam hitters. It's all the, the best of the best. The people who just like, they were so relentless in their pursuit of God. All these people, they have this place listed in the, in the Hall of Fame, so to speak, because of their faith that was extraordinary, and they're listed by name for their extraordinary, relentless faith. And, and I want to encourage you, out of all the heroes in the Bible, and you can look from cover to cover at the heroes in the faith, the people who responded to God and pursued him in a, in a, in a, in a way that God blessed and rewarded, a way that God acknowledged. Um, th- there's one challenge I have for you. Understanding that God is sovereign. Everyone say sovereign. 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 He overreigns everything. He's in control, right? God's never out of control. He's always in control. We got to know this. He's always in control, all-knowing. All all, always present and, and all powerful. God, that never changes. He's immutable in his nature. So God is sovereign and he reigns over everything. But at the same time, his sovereignty is going on, unchanging, unmutable. At the same time, the sovereignty of God's going on. There's got to be something going on with us. God's doing this part, but we have to do our part. You guys sense that in life? God does his part and we do ours. How about this? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive, right? God's like, I got nothing but forgiveness for you. You do your part, I'm going to do my part, right? Turn and follow me, I'll give you eternal life. If you believe in your heart, you're going to receive it. There's this whole thing going on with the sovereign God of God doing his part and God doing our part. And if you look at the case studies of all these people in the Bible, they realize, God, you are sovereign but I have to respond to you in a way, not just believe in my brain or understand the basic principle of, uh, of the Trinity or that, that Jesus came to earth. The basic principle is a wonderful place to start. But they had to respond in a way. They actually engaged and entered into a relationship 
very intentionally. And so if you're a note taker today, I just got a few quick points and I'd encourage you to, to jot these down so that you can be relentless in your faith. I, I really believe God's calling us to another level of relentless faith today. The first one is quite simply, God does his part and we do ours. God does his part and we do ours. As a pastor, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people, counseled people, prayed with people, and, and you hear the story, well, God's just gonna do what he wants anyway, right? Come on, how many, how many in the room heard this? He's just gonna do what he wants anyway. In other words, what's the point? Isn't that what that means? God, why? I mean, honestly, I'm tired of praying. God's gonna do what he wants anyway. The world, God's gonna do what he wants. And you know what that does? It throws everything on God and we totally exempt us, ourselves from our part. You will never see any of those people with that mindset, that worldview, that heart condition in the Bible, in the Hall of Fame. Because faith like that doesn't get into the Hall of Fame. Faith like that is not this rewardable, blessable, pursued, passionate, relentless, reckless pursuit of God. That's in another category. Yes, God is sovereign, so I'm not gonna do anything. I'm gonna sit back and watch God do whatever he does. I'm not gonna partner with him. I'm not gonna enter into it. I don't understand it, and I'm just gonna disengage. That is passive faith. You're not gonna see passive faith rewarded in the Bible anywhere. There are no heroes in the faith that had a passive faith. Every hero in the Bible had a relentless faith. Does that make sense? It's, it's a, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna quit. Paul says I'm not gonna be moved. Well, Paul, you've been beaten down, shipwrecked, left for dead. I mean, seriously, if anybody's gonna pull over and park and take about 10 years off, it ought to be you. No, nope, I'm not gonna be moved. I'm, I'm relentless. I'm, I'm holding my ground. I'm gonna get hit. Hell might come my way, warfare, whatever it is. I know the king I serve. He is sovereign. Yes, he is, but I'm gonna keep standing and I am not gonna be shaken and I won't be moved is what he says. And you know, you look at everything Jesus went through. He was, you know, he was rejected and he was, you know what I mean, blast, I mean, all kinds of things. They're trying to stone him to death and he's Israel's Messiah. He's like, I'm, I'm going to the cross. I got a price to pay. I'm relentless in my love for them and nothing's gonna stop me. I wanna encourage you that passive faith is not a rewardable faith, but relentless faith is rewardable. And you gotta know that because this is a key you need to pick up for your keychain for the kingdom of God. You can have a love for God and you're beginning to read his word and understands his ways, but your faith definitively has a major part to do with what God is gonna do in your life. We are saved by grace through, let me say it again, we're saved by grace through, it started by faith, the whole journey's by faith, and it never stops being by faith. And there's so many things that you and I will or won't get in on based on our faith. And if your faith is a passive faith, checked out, God's just gonna do what he wants anyway. If that's the way you're thinking, I wanna challenge you to change your heart or at least sit with God, spend more time on his word, ask the Holy Spirit, is that, is, should that be my heart condition? Should I have the heart condition, God, you're just gonna do what you want anyway, so I'm disengaging passively. I'm gonna live my faith passively or when you read this scripture and you sit and pray with God, is God gonna tell you, follow me, get a little bit more relentless and watch what I'm gonna do in your life. And I trust you're gonna find that the latter is what God is calling us to this morning. Uh, how many of you guys are enjoying the World Cup? Anybody liking soccer, the World Cup going on? Okay, what team's gonna win? One, two, three, what team's gonna win? Okay, <laughs> America's out. I can't believe we didn't even get in. Uh, but the point is this, every athlete you see on that field is relentless, can you imagine these guys? Do you want to kick the ball, Billy? Uh, no, Tom. Why don't you give it a shot? You sure? No, I think it's your turn. Uh, no, relentless. That ball and that's that goal. 
I'm going at it. And they're relentless in their pursuit of what they're doing. I believe God is calling us to do the same thing. One of the greatest boxers of all time, um, Joe Lewis, if you follow boxing anybody back in the day, he held a title for 12 years. But he understood very clearly as an athlete who was very relentless in a pursuit that God does his part and we do ours. I think we have a graphic for him up here. Um, we're going to do our part and we're going to win because we're on God's side. Anybody sense that? Anybody feel that? If you don't, I, I want to accept the prophetic words of Joe Lewis. If God is for you, who can be against you? If God is for you, who can be against you? Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Okay, so we do our part. God does his part. Um, so anyway, let's go. Matthew 15, verse 21. And we're going to look at this passage right here. It's where we left off uh, last week. And um, this is following Jesus. We've been on this following this gospel of Jesus. I feel like we get to walk with Jesus through the whole Galilean hillside. And we're uh, understanding the keys of the kingdom of God. And when, when he gives us one, we pick it up and we put it on our keychain so that we can walk with him more passionately, represent him better, and have a greater understanding of what this kingdom is all about in the first place. It says in verse 21, it says, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. So Jesus came, the, 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 the understanding of this is that Jesus came to Israel. He's the long-awaited promised Messiah of Israel. In fact, all the prophets of old were pointing to the day of this Messiah coming. They were all Jewish prophets. They were all born in Israel. They're all pointing to, even if they were in captivity for a while, pointing back to Israel, that God is going to do a work and it's going to come through Israel. It started in the very beginning with Abraham. God called him out and said, Abraham, through you, I'm going to make a people. It's going to be called Israel, the Hebrew people. It's going to start with you. And through the seed of your offspring, uh, the world will be blessed through you guys. And so God's doing a work through Israel, and he wants Israel to shine a light that has an effect on the entire world. And so Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, finally comes. He's doing the majority of his ministry right smack in Israel. But there's some tension going on where they're starting to look at Jesus and persecution, and there's times where he gets off the grid for a moment. Has anybody ever felt you need to get off the grid for a moment? Just got to get off the grid. Jesus steps out into this area up north, into this Gentile area for a reprieve to get away, to pray. And so he's up there with his disciples, and uh, the good news is spreading all over about Jesus, and he gets there, and this woman comes charging uh, at Jesus. And Jesus... Uh, He's still his main goal. His, still, his main goal is Israel. He started with Israel as his goal. He's focused on his goal. And uh, I would suggest this. You and I have some goals as well. And if you and I, in pursuit of our goals, if we, stay, if we stop and say yes to everything else, you're never going to get your goals accomplished. And I'm not just talking about an idea. I'm talking about God-given goals. God has given everyone in this room goals, or he wants to give you goals. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, not to harm you, to prosper to you, to give you a hope and a future. All the days for you were ordained before one of them came to being. We were created for good works in Christ Jesus, Scripture says. God's got goals for you. If you don't know about the goals, camp out, sit with God, begin the process of discovery on the goals that God has for you. But unequivocally, God has goals for you. 
And when you begin to pursue those goals, you'll never execute or or follow through on those goals if we stop and turn around for every immediate area around us. Um, If you're a parent and you got kids, you know it's hard to pull off some goals. Anybody relate to that? It's hard to pull off some goals because you got a lot of immediate demands around you. But, but in your goals and your pursuits of life, God's calling you to some things and you're going to have to say no to certain things to pursue the things God's calling you to. And that's a word for some of you in this room that are distracted with the periphery instead of the main things being the main things. Some of you in this room, you may be, not intentionally, not by desire, but you may be majoring in a minor. You may be majoring in a minor. When you go to college, you go to college for a major, not for a minor. A minor is a backup plan. It's a, it's a supplemental thing over here. And so the, the point is this. Jesus has a major, and it's Israel. And all of a sudden, this Gentile woman comes up. And this is the, the climate that we, we see right here. Jesus has uh, what you would call an Israel-first policy. Um, you've heard of an America-first policy. You may like it. You may not like it. But Israel had an Israel. God had an Israel-first policy with Israel beginning with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and through Moses and through the prophets and finally through the Jewish Messiah for Israel to be the light of the world that they were called to being. And Jesus is walking this out. Now, this Canaanite woman is constantly calling out. Canaanite, Canaanite woman. When you read the book of Judges um, and the book of Joshua, you begin to discover a little more about the Canaanite culture. The Canaanite culture was, was, was very demonic. Their culture was very demonic. In fact, it was appalling for the Israelites, the called out ones, when they started going through the desert and coming into this land, the stuff that they ran into, they didn't even have a category for it. They were doing stuff way beyond what they were doing in Egypt. They were, they were doing things like having, uh, having sexual relations with priests up at the temple, taking newborn babies and throwing them into the burning arms of a god called Molech. And, and, and I've been to Israel a few times and they found these altars, these pillars where they found thousands and thousands of little baby bones. And this is where this are, this is a way of life for the Canaanites. They're figuring fertility is, is we're going to be blessed with fertile land if we take our firstborn and throw it. And, and you think, and the, 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 a lot of dark stuff they're doing, a lot of crazy demonic stuff the Canaanite people were doing. And how many of you know in, in the Bible, there's a spiritual law that we reap what we sow. You guys realize that? If we sow to the Spirit, we're going to reap from the Spirit. And if we sow to the flesh, we're going to... And, and same with it. So this culture, this woman like a teabag, her culture has been immersed in some crazy, messed up stuff. And guess what? She's got a demon-possessed daughter. I, I can't tell you exactly why, but I can tell you by her culture being mentioned as a Canaanite, that's, that's the background. That's the family history. That's the generational way that the Canaanites operated. This was the, the faith of the of the Canaanites, but this woman, she is, uh, she's got a daughter under a strong demonic influence and she's probably tried a bunch of stuff and she heard that this Jewish Messiah is coming and she goes way out of her way to get to Jesus. And first she goes to the apostles and the apostles are like, lady, go away. And she's still calling out. And I say this because some of you have asked for things. Some of you have asked God for things. I know I've done this as well. I just, this, is, this is where rubber meets the road. You've asked God for things and God has not answered you. God has not answered your prayer. And because God has not answered your prayer, you've stopped pursuing. You've stopped being relentless in your pursuit and your prayer of God because you already asked and God didn't do it, so you moved on. You might not have been in that category of God's just going to do whatever he wants anyway, so what's the point? But, but you're, you're one more category away saying, 
I really did pray and I really did ask God. And guess what? He didn't do anything. So now, now I'm walking away. And I'm telling you, there's so much hinges on this because one is a passive faith and one is a relentless faith. And some of you may have completely different outcomes in your future depending on the kind of faith you have, specifically regarding the things God is calling you into, uh, the future that he has for you. So many things, passive faith, relentless faith. And we're gonna see that in the story here, but this is a key you need to pick up and put it on your keychain because God has great and mighty things in store for those who love him and we'll never even understand them unless we walk in a relentless faith. And in this passage right here, that's what's going on. So she's crying out, the apostles are like, lady, we didn't come for you guys, we're here for Israel, we're just trying to take a break. Stand down, okay, go away please. And she's still pursuing, she's not taking no for an answer. Some of you have taken no for an answer. Some of you have, listen, some of you have taken no for an answer when God never even gave you a no for an answer. Some of you have taken no for an answer when God never gave you a no. He never told you no. The Apostle Paul is crying out to God. He's got a thorn in his side. We don't know what it is, but he says it's a thorn. Whatever, it's a problem in life. It's like a major issue of some kind. It's a lot of debate on what it is. It doesn't really matter. He wants it gone, and he loves God. God's using him powerfully. But in his own personal life, he's got this thorn. It's not going away. He's crying out, God, please, please. God doesn't do it. He, please, God, another season of his life. God, would you please? I'm really intentional about this prayer. Would you please take this away? He doesn't do it. Third time, he's crying out, God, how long do I got to live this way? And I don't know what the issue is. We don't know. We have no idea what it is, what his pain, what his burden, what his issue is. But, but he's like, God, will you take it away? And God told him, no. On this one, Paul, I've done all these other things for you. I've opened doors. You're raising the dead. You're doing this stuff. You get to write half the New Testament. Follow me. It's, we've got a great future here. But on this thing, no. And this side of heaven, we won't know. Yes, God is sovereign. But God said no. And God said, listen, on this particular thing, Paul, my power is made perfect in your weakness. And I need to keep you in this zone so I could use you in a powerful way. But Paul was told no, N-O by God. Some of you have been praying about things and you never got a no from God. You never got a no from God. But you took it as a no. God's sovereign. I moved on. I already prayed about that. And you think it's over. You think the chapter's over. You think that whole avenue, that path, you, you, you might even take that as a closed door. And I've heard people, I prayed about it and God closed the door. Okay, God opens doors no man can shut and he closes doors no man can, can, can open. But how did God close the door? Did he tell you? Are you, do you, are you absolutely unequivocally sure based on scripture and the spirit of God or whatever God, however God showed you that he closed the door? And if not, how do you even know the door is closed? But so many believers pray, eh, didn't happen, and they move on because they're not relentless in their faith. They're passive in their faith. And so much of your future hinges on a passive or a relentless faith. So this woman, the apostles tell her no. And then she comes, she's crying out to Jesus. They're like, no, it's not happening. I came for Israel, ma'am, I hear you. I came for Israel. You don't understand it. You're not gonna get it. I came for Israel. I didn't come for the Gentiles. If Jesus came for the Gentiles, he would have been born in Africa or in Europe or in China or somewhere else. He came born in Israel as Israel's Messiah with an aim for Israel to come to faith in their Messiah and to be the light of the world. She keeps crying out, but this lady does not take no for an answer because she's absolutely relentless. And in verse 25, it says, the woman came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. 
This is what she's saying to Jesus. So after the apostles saying, go away, after getting a no very clearly, uh, now, now she's not taking no for now. Now she gets on her knees. Even though she was told no, she's on her knees. Most people, when they're told no, they're gone. Would you guys relate? Wouldn't you be gone? You asked the Lord for something, he told you no. How many would be walking away? Honestly. He tells you no. All right, that was a no. This lady, she's not even taking no for an answer from the Lord. That's wild. We don't see this in Scripture. Do you realize that? We don't see this in Scripture. I'm not saying this is the model of engagement for believers with the Lord, but I am saying, just take note. She's told no, and she turns around and drops to her knees, and she calls him Lord. It's awesome she calls him Lord. She's a Canaanite. How many of you know God's heart is just stirred up when people steeped in that realm that they were in begin to drop to their knees and call him Lord? In the eyes of God, that's like one of the most beautiful things. When a sinner comes to repentance, there's a celebration in heaven. And this woman with this, I guarantee a Canaanite past is no fairy tale. I mean, there's some crazy stuff like a horror story, the stuff she's been exposed to. And now her daughter's demon possessed. She's told no. She comes relentlessly, drops to her knees and calls out to Jesus and calls him Lord. And she pleads again and says, please help me because she's relentless. In verse 26, he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, in American culture, we go, oh, what is it? Oh. But in the con- that's not what he's saying in this context. What he's saying is, Israel is at the table. I am the king. There's a banquet set. I'm coming for the people, and I have to feed the people of Israel. The prophets pointed to this day. The Messiah is in their presence, and that's why he's teaching and preaching, and signs and wonders are accompanying the gospel presentation, and everywhere he goes... He's setting free captives and doing this. Why? So they'll understand the new covenant, the new promises here, the ultimate atonement is among you. And this is his aim and this is his, his passion and this is what he's feeding the people of Israel. And so he makes this statement right here because Israel was supposed to get their insights of God and his nature from, from the Jewish people. And so uh, that was by God's design starting with Abraham. So J- Jesus tells her it's not right to take away from Israel because it's an Israel first policy, ma'am. You don't have to understand. Pre- I came for Israel. When they turn and follow, there's going to be a beautiful overflow effect on the whole world. The whole world is going to get to know. And this is by God's design through Israel. Uh, in fact, when Paul goes through the New Testament and he's sharing the churches, he says he goes to a town and he starts first with the, with the Jew and then the Gentile. That's God calling him, Paul, I want you to reach the world, but go to the Jew and then go to the Gentile. So even if he goes to a town and only one or two Jewish people accept him, he still went there first and then he went to the whole Jewish community. And so there's still something about, you know, even though Israel at large has rejected Jesus, there's still something about God's heart for Israel and what he's going to do in the end times, the Bible tells us, of how many Jewish people, the veil of limitation will be lifted and they're going to see very clearly, oh my goodness, Jesus was the Messiah and we missed him but it's not too late. We can still turn. So that's what's going on, the tension in this passage with the Jewish world and the, and the Gentile world. And at this point, if Jesus told you, uh, if the apostles told you, no, go away, and if you came back and you asked Jesus and he's saying, go away, and you dropped your knees and you called him Lord, and he's telling you, look, I came, my feeding is for the table of Israel. It's not for anybody else, ma'am. Uh, you or I would probably go away too. I think I would. I'll just be completely honest. At this point in the story, I think at this point, this is like the third time, I, I think I'm probably walking away uh, in all honesty. But this woman is relentless and I want what she has. I want what this woman has. Uh, I'm learning from this woman. This woman has got a kind of faith that you just don't get to see. This is not average faith. This is not passive faith. 
It's not even pretty good faith. This is relentless faith. And we're going to see what happens. Jesus says, ma'am, it's not right to take what's the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. In verse 27, yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. The apostles tell her to go away. She continues to press in. Jesus told her, sorry, ma'am, I came for Israel. You don't have to understand it. That's the reality. I, uh, I appreciate you. It sounds harsh to us, but he can't stop and heal everyone on the planet. He's going after Israel. And she drops on her knees. She's calling him Lord. She's crying out to him. And average faith would have absolutely walked away at this point. I know mine probably would have. Yours probably would have as well, if we're honest. We already got our answer. And the answer in this case was clearly a no. So this case, it seems like clearly a closed door because she clearly got a seemingly no for an answer. Um, But this woman wouldn't take no for an answer. And so where does that fit with your prayer? Um, Some of you have prayed about things and hasn't been answered. And you have taken that as a no. And God never told you no, but you took it as a no. And I can't tell you if it's a no or yes. Only the Spirit of God knows these things. I don't know. You can check the Word of God. Does this seem blessable? Does this seem like this, this would... Bless you, bless other people. Would it honor God? Would God get the glory in this? Uh, You know, there's a whole test of things you can go through to see, does this seem like it's from the Lord or not? There's a whole way of discerning what is a blessing from God and what is not, what is blessable and what is not. But in this case right here, this seems like it would be a closed door for many of us, but this woman is relentless. She would not take a no for an answer. And Jesus tells this relentless woman, Jesus tells this woman, the word in the Greek, He turns around and looks at her and says, ma'am, whoa, you, ma'am, you, ma'am, have relentless faith. You have mega faith in the Greek. Everyone say mega faith. faith. Jesus isn't saying this word too often. You look at the words in the New Testament, you're not seeing mega faith come up a lot. You have little faith, mini faith, puny faith, you hear that come up. But mega faith, you're not hearing come up. And you're hearing this mega faith come out of this Canaanite woman with a really messed up background who was relentless. I want to tell you, relentless faith is a good faith. Relentless faith is rewardable faith. Relentless faith is mega faith. And Jesus says to this woman, ma'am, your faith is mega. You're in the mega category. And because you're so relentless and your faith is so mega, it's done for you right now. Now that's crazy to you and I because the answer already seemed like no. I mean, it seemed audibly like no. Not just, I prayed and God didn't answer. She's even getting no's. And, and, and so this is, this is an interesting uh, scripture, but man, she's just going after God relentlessly with a mega faith. And, and the reason she's doing it, in fact, if you're a note taker, write that down for your second point this morning. God rewards relentless faith. He calls it mega faith. Relentless faith. God doesn't reward passive faith. He rewards relentless faith. Not the kind of faith to say, I believe you're sovereign, God. I'm just going to sit here and watch what you do throughout the universe, wait for you to come back. That's that's mini faith. It's puny faith. The ones that say, God, I I know you're good and I want to engage you for the goodness of others around me. This is not even a self-centered prayer. This is my daughter needs you. My daughter needs to be free. I heard, somebody told me, Jesus, that you came to set free the captives. Please, God, if that's true, I'm going to be relentless. I'm going to pursue you. If that's your nature, if that's your ways, I am going to war. I am going to fight. I'm going to chase after you until you clearly shut a door, but I am going to keep asking and I'm going to keep going after you, God, because I heard you set free captives. 
I've, I heard there's recovery for those who are in darkness. I've heard there's, uh, you set free the captives and there's uh, sight for the blind and you came to preach the good news and I believe these things, but Lord, I got a daughter who she's in bondage and I heard you can set people free and I'm gonna be relentless. And Jesus says, ma'am, your faith is straight up mega. Your faith is relentless and your faith is, is getting rewarded. So God rewards uh, relently, relentless faith. And this especially matters, guys, in the, the demonic understanding the context of the scripture. Context is always key. Was the lady asking relentlessly, Lord, let me win the lottery? Was that what she's, she asking for the lottery? Okay. What is she asking for? He, freedom for her daughter who's in bondage to demonic influence. That's what's going on. Jesus came to set free the captives. Jesus came to Conquer the works of darkness, Scripture says. Everywhere Jesus went, he keeps stomping on the powers of hell, especially in Mark's gospel, just, just like a giant. Everywhere he goes, he's just, just tossing it and throwing it around. I mean, this is what he does. And so uh, this is important because you may know somebody who is not free. Maybe you're fighting for your own freedom yourself in an area of your life where you feel like you're under a, a restriction, a bondage that you don't think is a, a biblical one. You don't think it's the freedom that God wants you to walk in. You don't think it's a scriptural one. You don't think it's the word and the spirit. And you're aiming higher because the word points to a higher aim. And you're aiming for that higher realm of living. And you feel like you're being subjected in some kind of way. Or someone around you that you love, a friend or a family member or a neighbor or a coworker, is under some kind of thing that's holding him back. Guess what? This gives you permission to war for them and be relentless for them. Because Jesus came for that. Is that in the yes category? Generally speaking, yes. He came to set captives free. He came to just tear down oppression and he told the apostles to go out and do the same thing. This would be in a, you better, you better get relentless about this. If you know anyone in your life who is suffering from, from, from uh, oppression or depression or demonic influence or, or addiction or anything that's holding them back from the freedom that Jesus paid for, then, then you get relentless for them, not just, well, I prayed for it. We're gonna see what you do, God. That's mini faith. That's puny faith, and that's not rewardable faith. Mega faith is the relentless faith, and it's the rewardable faith, and that's what's going on right here. How many of you know that he who the sun sets free is free indeed? Jesus says that. That's, this is his, his words, his language. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. How many of you know that Jesus came to set free the captives? Jesus, this is Jesus' words. So when you line up and get relentless with the words of Jesus, you are praying God's will. Let him make it know or close the door some other way. But you can get relentless about that. Another example of that we see in Luke 18. I think we have this for the screen up here. Luke 18, verse 7 and 8. There's a persistent widow. And this persistent widow in Luke's gospel uh, is, 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 Jesus is talking about her going to a secular judge, not even going to God, going to a secular judge, but being relentless. It says, it says this, she needs justice and she's not getting justice. And the Bible talks a lot about justice and you and I standing on behalf of justice, uh, you know, biblical justice is, is rewardable, it's honorable. And uh, it says in Luke 18, verse 7, And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus is saying in this passage really quick on this, this woman with the... Uh, goes before a secular judge and the, the judge is blowing her off, but the woman wants, judges, uh, wants justice and Jesus says, listen, that ongoing relentless pursuit is gonna get rewarded. 
Again, the first woman wanted freedom for her daughter. This other woman wants justice. These are all in the kingdom category of honorable things. These are all things that Jesus came to do. And this woman's warring. But Jesus says in this passage regarding who gets answered and who doesn't. In Luke's passage, he's talking about this relentless woman. And this is what he says. When the Son of Man comes back, verse 8, when the Son of Man comes back, what kind of faith is he going to find on earth? And I ask you the same question. If Jesus came back tomorrow, what kind of faith is he going to find on earth? What kind of faith is he going to find in this room? What kind of faith is he going to find right in your chair? What kind of faith is he going to find up here? Whoa. What kind of faith is he going to find? Is he going to find puny faith? Mini faith? Passive faith? Average faith? Mega faith? Relentless faith? What kind of faith is the Son of Man going to find? Fine. And Jesus is talking about this in the answer of requests, moving things. You getting this? This is the context of this whole thing. Requests, intentional, passionate requests, changing things, changing futures. And again, some of you, God's going to do what he wants to do. You don't even engage in that transaction the way you should. And some of you have asked once, God didn't do it. Well, you took the first step, the baby step, but that's still puny faith. That's mini faith. It's still passive faith. In this passage here, if you're fighting for something that's good, it's kingdom-minded, it's for the freedom of others, it's for the glory of God, then you keep pushing in and you keep pressing on. You do push kind of prayers. P-U-S-H, pray until something happens. Pray until something happens. You keep pressing in. That's what the persistent widow did. That's what this other woman did with her relentless, relentless kind of um, pursuit. And so... um, the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing in this same context, to keep pressing in. Don't say, I prayed about it. God didn't do it. He's going to do what he wants anyway. Walk away. Too many Christians today have that view and that heart condition rather than saying, God, I don't even know why I have to keep asking. I, I, I've been reading the word for a long time. I have no idea. I've been in ministry for over 20 years. I have no idea why I have to. Does anybody know why they have to keep asking? Keep asking. I don't know why. I don't know why this woman had, I don't know why the persistent widow, I have no idea. This side of heaven, we won't know. But we don't have to know is what I'm trying to tell you. We don't have to know why. We just have to pray without ceasing. God does his part, we do ours, right? He is sovereign and we need to be relentless, amen? He is sovereign. At the same time, we should be relentless in faith. We should have mega faith like the lady in the passage. Not just he's sovereign, I'm gonna be passive. He's sovereign, I'm passive. That's not what we see. We don't see things changing in the story. Pray without ceasing. Um, The Bible says in uh, Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8, we have it for up here too. Uh, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you, for everyone who asks receives. Seek and you will find, the one who seeks finds. Knock and the door will be open to you. He's talking about a closed door. Uh, The one who knocks, the door will be open. And some of you would say, Well, Pastor, I've already done that. I already asked. Didn't happen. I already saw it, it didn't happen, and I knocked, and it didn't open. So guess what? That doesn't work. But the problem is you need to understand the context of this, because this is not saying, did you ask that one time, did you seek that one time, and did you knock that one time? The context of here is don't quit. This is saying keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, and if you keep asking, you'll get the answer. When you keep seeking, you will find, and when you keep knocking, the door, this is the words of Jesus. I'm not making it, Pastor B is not giving this to you today. This is the words of Jesus. If you keep asking and you keep seeking and you keep knocking, closed doors will be open, Scripture says. 
These are, this is Jesus' word. This is his advice to his followers that we look at this as a key to the kingdom and we put it on our ring and go, this is golden. This key is golden. I haven't been using this key. I, I'd like asking, God, you're going to do what you want. And I move on and I just take life into my own hands and my own control. No, Jesus is like, keep asking and seeking and knocking and watch what I will do. This is his promises to us. He's telling us to ask, seek, and knock. So the third point this morning is quite simply, remember, Jesus told me, not Pastor B, Jesus told me to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. You might want to write that down because some of you stopped. You stopped asking on something a long time ago. Jesus didn't tell you to stop asking. Jesus is telling you to keep asking. Again, kingdom things. You've got to pray about what that is, but you check your word and pray and what's honorable to God and gives him the glory and things that line up with scripture. You keep asking and you keep seeking and you keep knocking. And this side of heaven, we leave the rest to God. Whether he answers or not, we take no control over that. He is the sovereign one who has full control, amen? But with his full control, we are called to have mega faith at the same time, not passive faith. Um, Long time ago, this would be great if the worship team comes up. Long time ago, there was a man, California, looking for gold. And um, he was looking at the mountain range, how the mountain range was laid out. And he noticed there was a stream down underneath. And as he was prospecting, looking around for places, he realized down in the stream below, he saw just little bits of gold flakes, little bit of gold flakes, not much, just a little something. And he thought, you know what? Maybe, just maybe, there's got to be gold in that mountain. So he staked the claim, which you could do back in the day, you know, 1800. He staked the claim and said, hey, this thing, he signed up with the federal government. This area here, I want to have that to explore it. And they, they gave him his claim. So this guy's got a claim and he goes with some dynamite and he goes in there with a pickaxe and he's chipping away, he's tunneling away, he's get, chiseling through the granite up at the central coast and he's getting deeper and deeper in this mountain and he's got six years of chiseling and knocking through and blowing stuff up and running back there with his candle back in the back. And after six years, six long years, he goes, I'm tired. I'm done. So he, he puts down his pickaxe. He leaves the dynamite there. There's some candles left behind. He walks out. He blows up the front of the mine and collapses it. And he walks away. Many years later, many years later, there's a mining company that goes you know, I think there might be gold in that mountain right there. And they look up the record and somebody had a claim staked on this mountain. But they found out that that guy died and the claim now was open because he abandoned it. He stopped doing it. So the mining company applied for a claim on the same mountain. The mining company went into that mountain. They removed the rubble rocks from the entrance and they went all the way back to the end of that cave. And back at the end of that tunnel, they found in that mine the old rusty pickaxe a bunch of old candles, and even some unused dynamite. And they began to chip away. And six inches further, they found one of the biggest finds of gold in California history in that era. Six inches away from where the other guy quit. One faith is relentless, and the other faith is not. One finds the gold, and the other one does not. If this woman were to walk away, she wouldn't have found the gold. Her daughter would have missed out. Her future would have been tragically different. 
but she was persistent and she would not quit. And she, wouldn't, she just kept, God, if your nature is good, I'm going after you. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what those around me say. I don't care what I'm seeing with my own eyes. I walk by faith, not by sight. I know I'm not seeing what I want to see, but I believe your nature is good, God. I believe it's in the book. I believe it's in your word. So I'm going to continue to contend for it. And as I contend, I'm going to leave the rest to you. You're sovereign, but I'm going to continue to contend. For some of you, you might have gold six inches away. And you might be missing the gold if you don't keep contending. So I just want to encourage you. The the last point is this. You can be relentless for God because God was relentless for you. He was pursuing you. He loved you before you ever loved him back. And I want to just encourage you. God is relentless. He loves you. He's pursuing all of us. His love is amazing. And, and I just want to encourage you. God is relentless for you. You can be relentless back. It's good to be relentless, God. Let's just close in prayer this morning. Ask God to seal some of these things in our heart. Mighty God, we love you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of it. We ask this morning, God, where we, we first acknowledge thank you for being relentless for us. Thank you that your love for us was reckless. You knocked stuff out of the way. You kept coming after us when we kept stiff-arming you and pushing you out of the way and making excuses. You kept pursuing us. Thank you that your love was reckless and you were relentless in your pursuit for us. But God, I pray today that we would respond in kind, that we would respond in a way that says, God, you were relentless for us. May we start being relentless for you. May we start reading your word and studying what you say is good and what you want for us and our families and our friends and our neighbors and the world around us. And let's start contending, God. Show us how to contend on a whole new level that we've never contended for. Show us how to ask, keep asking, to knock, to keep knocking, to seek, to keep seeking in a kind of way, God, that is rewardable. Show us how to have relentless faith when sometimes we have puny faith, God. You're calling us to mega faith, God. And Lord, in these passages of the, of the widow and this woman, this Canaanite woman, both of them, their gold was just a little further away. The gold of the kingdom was a little further, not monetary gold, but the gold of your blessing. The miracle was six inches away, but they quit too early. God, let us not do that. Let us follow these women of the Bible who pressed in. Let us be relentless in our faith to you, God, that we would be people that say, I asked, I pressed in, I sought, and look what the Lord has done. And we will give you the glory. We don't want any glory. We don't want any fame. They don't even need to know our name. But we want them to know your goodness and that you are alive and that you are proactive doing good things in the lives of your people, God. And so show us how to contend for others on a whole new level. And Lord, be selfless in our pursuit of you. We love you, God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.